1: A factual data creation facility production. Welcome to the OFNT podcast, episode 194, which I'm calling Melancholy and Zombies. Yes, I'm describing the way I'm feeling presently. I think this feeling was brought on by a combination of the holiday season and nearing the one-year anniversary of my retirement from working life. I've been thinking about the people who have recently passed on and the people I will most likely never see again. Ah, don't worry. This will pass. Well, at least I hope it will pass. As for the zombie part of the title... The rant will make that apparent. Okay, full steam ahead as the glue kids say. No. Tech news. The tech news was kinda sparse this week. That is always tech news, but I don't find most of it interesting, well, at least to me. I'll get the Apple stuff over with first. Police warn parents about the danger of Apple's new feature, Is the headline from an article on the Daily Mail's website. The gist of this story is that multiple police departments located within the United States warned that strangers oh, no. can steal your information with the name drop feature, no. which was just added as part of Apple's iOS 17 update. Experts claim the warnings about the name drop feature are unfounded. Yes. Well, you know, it was a very slow tech news week when a story such as this gets headlines on multiple news websites. The way name drop works is that you and someone else hold your iPhones next to each other at a very close distance, and we're talking centimeters here, until the name drop prompt appears on both screens. When said prompt appears, the users can choose to share personal information. In this case, contact information with or without one of you or both of you, as a matter of fact, receiving this information. Police are concerned that the ease of transferring data could, let me emphasize, could be disastrous for children. They always use children as an example when sounding some alarm, don't they? Claiming that these poor, evidently ignorant youngsters could be coerced into sharing all their details. I would think you have a better chance of having your entire phone stolen than have this scenario occur. But hey, what do I know? These police departments suggest turning off the name drop feature to prevent this from happening. Well, how about keeping your children off social media instead? Those types of platforms vacuum up much more than contact information about you and everyone that uses them. Plus, staying off social media will probably prevent mental health issues down the road and may have the side effect of letting young people develop a condition referred to as critical thinking, which is known to fend off the mis- and disinformation the powers that be seem so concerned about lately. Apple hasn't commented on any inquiries regarding this so-called issue, and I don't think they'll waste their time doing so. Kids today are much more tech savvy than old farts such as myself, so I consider this latest warning as just more of the if it bleeds-it-leads method of the modern bought-and-paid-for mainstream media. Reuters has the headline, Apple to end credit card partnership with Goldman Sachs. There had been rumblings of this taking place on the intertubes for a couple of weeks now, but the scenario was reversed with reports that Goldman Sachs desperately wanting out of the partnership. According to the article, it appears Apple are the ones who want out of the partnership. I figure the giant fruit company has come up with a way to be even more profitable without the too-big-to-fail Wall Street bank as their partner. That'll be either by a new partnership with another bank or perhaps becoming a bank themselves. I say this because just last year, Apple and Goldman Sachs extended their agreement through 2029. So, what's changed? Apple plans on pulling out of the agreement within the next 12 to 15 months, and this is time enough to finish setting up whatever they have planned to take its place. I use the Apple credit card for all my purchases from them. That includes a trade-in because you're not charged the value of the trade-in up front. I then pay off the balance of my purchases within a month. I've already paid off both my and my lovely wife's iPhone 15 Pro Max phones and will finish paying off my newly acquired Mac Mini by the end of this month. The MacBook Air I've just ordered will be paid off by the end of January. I plan on purchasing a pair of HomePods using the cash back I've earned from my purchases using the Apple-issued credit card. And and I'm over halfway there, too. Update. The latest rumor has Apple partnering with Chase Bank for future-issued Apple cards. Well, there seems to be an issue concerning Google Drive that will cause users to lose up to a month's worth of files backed up to the Big G's cloud service. What the hell? Well, that's not good. Google has since released a statement saying that the company is investigating these reports and will follow up with updates real soon now. To avoid potentially losing files, Google suggests that users avoid clicking Disconnect Account on the app, not moving or deleting the app's data folder, duh, and making a copy of the data folder. According to the wise mages of the Internet, the issue appears to be caused by the app failing to sync data to the cloud. Hmm, where have I heard that before? (laughs) I cloud. then losing these local files before updating. I once read some wise words that were printed upon a bumper sticker while stuck in traffic during one of my now obsolete work commutes. It read, there is no such thing as the cloud. It's just someone else's computer. The lesson to be learned here is to back up important files locally unless you're a gambler. And if you are, you just might be paying extra for the convenience of file and data availability everywhere. Google Messages' new update makes it look a bit like iPhone's Messages app is a headline from Tech Radar. They say that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Or as my dear departed grandmother would say, imitation is nothing more than plain old thievery. <laughs> anyway, to commemorate 1 billion monthly active users, Google is introducing several new customization options for its Messages app. Like Apple's sticker option, you can now use Google Messages' Photo Emoji, which allows one to clip parts in a photograph and use them as emoji reactions. Google Messages updates adds profiles, which lets users create an introductory biography about themselves alongside their name and picture. Read Apple's contact poster feature. Messages will have animated screen effects, which parrots Apple's iMessage animations on the iPhone. Unlike iOS, you can't activate the displays whenever you want. You have to enter specific prompt words before you can use these effects. A list of these prompts hasn't been released yet. Using Google Messages, a user can now add voice recordings to Emoji, which in my opinion is a half-baked attempt at imitating Apple's Memoji feature. And finally, in a feature iMessages doesn't have, you'll now be able to change the color scheme of the message bubbles, which is something other Android message apps have allowed you to do for years now. Just think, you'll finally be able to have your very own blue bubble now if you're an Android user while messaging using Google's Messenger. I'm failing to grasp the importance of chat bubble colors over functionality, but that may be due to my age bracket. I watched a video put out by Google demonstrating these new features, and I found them not as polished as their iMessage counterparts, being a bit too cartoonish for my tastes. But hey, any new added features will be welcomed, I'm sure. A website I haven't perused in quite some time, ZDNet, has the following headline. This Windows app can turn your Android phone into a webcam. Of course, this capability is amongst the very few that Apple has had before Windows. This capability is being brought to you by Microsoft via the Windows Operating System's Link to Windows app. This new feature basically mimics what Mac OS and iOS can currently do with the added feature of being able to have background effects such as blur, face retouch, and soft focus. The problem I have with both Apple's and Microsoft's phone as webcam feature is using it will Tie up your phone, preventing the user from using it for anything else. I guess in a pinch, say you need to make a video call while away and the computer you have access to isn't equipped with a webcam. But at least Microsoft is attempting to integrate phones into the company's operating system. With these integrations and the new powerful ARM chips being announced, and also Microsoft's CEO recently stating he regrets getting out of the mobile phone business, can we be far away from full-blown windows on a smartphone? Just remember, you heard it here first. (laughs) And what would be a week without one of my favorite tech topics? Reuters has the following headline. Amazon announces a new cloud AI chip as Microsoft rivalry intensifies. Last Tuesday, Amazon announced the company's new artificial intelligence chip named Tranium 2, which of course is the second generation of this chip. Amazon claims that this new chip is four times as fast as its predecessor, while being twice as energy efficient. Amazon also announced its Gravitron 4 CPU chip, claiming it's 30% faster than its predecessor. These announcements come after Microsoft recently announced its own Maya AI chip and Cobalt CPU chip. Supposedly, all these new chips, including Google's Tensor and Oracle's Ampere, all are based on the ARM architecture, which will enable better programming for large language models needed for AI programming. This further signals the move away from chips using the now-ancient x86 architecture, currently manufactured by Intel and AMD. While AMD has announced that the company will be manufacturing chips based on the ARM architecture in the future, Intel hasn't announced any intention of doing so. As the podfather Adam Curry said during a recent episode of the No Agenda podcast, the goal of all these new chips isn't AI. It's to sell more cloud computing cycle services at an even more inflated price. You know, like everything else, it's all about the money Tech, I'm using. While I eagerly wait for Santa to bring me my 15 inch MacBook Air, I've been consuming many YouTube videos whose subject is that very laptop, as well as other Apple centric channels. Upon doing this consuming, I noticed a trend, or maybe it's just a, a thing amongst many of the creators of these videos. That being the majority of them live what's been dubbed the laptop lifestyle. The laptop lifestyle is defined as your one and only computer is a laptop. That makes sense, right? I also realize that this is the market that Apple targets and dominates. You don't see many Windows operating system users using just a laptop. I think that disparity is due to the fact that many Windows users are also hardcore gamers. Gaming being the one glaring thing that Macs really can't do well. Anyway, this laptop top lifestyle entails purchasing the most beefed-up macbook you can afford which is usually the latest and greatest macbook pro a dock for your expensive beast and a computer display again the best display that you can afford the wealthiest of the bunch meet their laptops to apple's own 1600 dollars 27-inch studio display the less fortunate use a much more reasonably priced display either a benq lg or samsung model varying between 24 to 32 inches in screen size. To complete the setup, some stick with the Apple Magic Mouse and Magic Keyboard, while others have third-party options, usually opting for mechanical keyboards and mice, with better features. Something I did and am still doing with my Mac Mini setup. Of all the laptop lifestyle creators I've watched, only one used a modestly enhanced 15-inch MacBook Air. And by moderate, I mean 16 gigs of RAM and 512 gigs of storage. This creator was a student, and as most know, students are usually on a strict budget. Seeing the laptop lifestyle in action made me second-guess my recent choices. Should I have went with the laptop lifestyle route and trimmed down to just one computer? I mean, I already have an 11-inch iPad Pro, which could easily serve as a replacement for a laptop, well, mobility-wise at least. I figured this laptop lifestyle makes sense. All your files on that one machine that you can take with you while out and about and then plug it into your monitor upon arriving home. Perhaps my age had something to do with the separate desktop-laptop mentality. Back when I was young, having the two separate entities was the way it was done. Besides laptops being considered a luxury back then, the available laptops of that time just didn't have the power or performance of a desktop machine. They also didn't have displays which were as large or as high-resolution as the desktop. And don't even talk about storage capacities. Above all else, those ancient laptops were very fragile and you had to treat them with kid gloves, unlike their modern contemporaries. And of course, with modern laptops, you can have all the specs that you can get on a desktop machine. Well, still not the display sizes that are available on a desktop computer. After contemplating this, I came to the conclusion that for my use cases, I had in fact made the right choices. I mean, I'm older, retired, hence not as mobile as I once was. Even while I was working, my place of employment provided me with a desktop computer, so there was no need to be lugging a laptop to and from work. And I was never one of those who would go to a Starbucks or a Panera just to sit and use the free Wi-Fi to get anything done on my computing device. I then ran the financials on being in that laptop lifestyle. If, like me, you'd figure that it would be more cost-effective. Wrong. No, the basic high-powered MacBook for my needs, along with the accompanying peripherals, would have cost me slightly more than my two-computer setup. What? Like the laptops of your, you pay a premium for computing mobility. For around the same price as a single laptop-computer setup, I have a, well, will have a desktop and laptop computer. My heavy computer tasks will be performed on my desktop, while lighter tasks will be accomplished on my laptop, whether mobile or stationary. Besides, if one machine fails, I can use the other until the other one is repaired or replaced. Yes, I could have just put my money into a really pumped-up desktop like a Mac Studio with Studio Monitor and relied on the iPad Pro for my mobile needs, but the iPad isn't nearly as powerful as a desktop or a laptop, regardless of spec and price. Well, I have no new tech to tell you about, really, this week. I still haven't gotten around to installing those new Blink outdoor cameras I purchased some weeks past. What? Well, I'll eventually get around to the task. When? Well, with the weather turning dreary and cold, I have no idea. We did purchase a new mattress for our bed, though. Yeah, I know this really isn't tech, but the new mattress is one of those memory foam spring hybrid types. Years ago, we replaced our standard mattress with a memory foam type, Sand Springs, back when memory foam was a new thing. It was horrible, to say the least. I felt like someone had given me a beatdown when I woke up in the morning. Shortly after, we bought a hybrid mattress from an outlet that, while better, still made us sore by the time we woke up in the morning, just less so. We bought this one after finding out that regular old-style mattresses were selling for over $1,000, And that was for the cheapest models. And that was up from around the $400 we had paid for the regular mattress we had purchased previously. This new mattress was cheaper than even those old regular mattresses. Like the first non-hybrid mattress we had, this one was delivered in a small box. The mattress inflates itself when the pressure is relieved upon unwrapping. So far, this new one is much more comfortable than the one it replaced. And I'm not sore when waking up. At the price we paid, I'd say it was a great deal. As far as longevity goes, well, time will tell. Entertainment news. Besides all, and I mean all of the expected high-budget blockbusters failing, and failing miserably, not much is going on in the world of entertainment. We watched back-to-back horror movies this last week, one a reboot of the Evil Dead franchise, the other a reboot of the Exorcist franchise. The Evil Dead reboot was okay, with the end heralding in yet another intent to gender-swap the main character, while the Exorcist reboot was so bad that we were actually rooting for the demons. Again, I have to ask, who the heck is greenlighting these atrocious scripts, and who the heck is writing this drivel? Whatever they're being paid is way too much. On the bright side, the third season of the great Apple TV series Slow Horses which is based on the novels of Mick Heron, is in full swing. And speaking of Apple TV, I completed the watching of Season 2 of Foundation. Unexpected twist and all. Once again, speaking of Apple TV, there are rumors of a streaming service merger with Paramount Plus, which I also subscribe to. Supposedly, both Apple TV and Paramount Plus are bleeding subscribers, and the merger would come in at a subscription price lower than subscribing separately. I'm all in for lower pricing and hope this rumor turns out to be true. Podcast news. According to the Podcast Business Journal, a podcast listening app called Audia, and that's with two Ds, will enable you to listen to your favorite shows without advertisements. Of course, you'll have to pay $6 per month for this ad free service. Just know that the podcast hosts and hosting services won't be taking kindly to this. So, I predict lawsuits coming in 3, 2, 1. Podcast hosting service Red Circle, which the OFNT podcast currently uses, reported a 100% increase in shows hosted on their platform.
0: (laughs) Yeah, boy. Yay!
1: Well deserved. I have nothing bad to say about this company. Spotify dropped its annual Spotify Wrapped for podcasters last week. And I learned that the OFNT podcast got but single digits of listeners for the year. But that's okay. I don't like the fact that Spotify sucks so much data up about the listeners on that platform. The number one listening platform for this podcast turned out to be Apple Podcast, followed by Unknown, just in case you wanted to know. Along with stats, the major listening platforms dropped their most listened-to podcast list, and I found I don't listen to any of the shows on these lists. I guess this confirms what I already knew about myself. I have weird taste in entertainment. <laughs> or should I say esoteric? Yes. That sounds bitter, doesn't it? For some reason, I've had my eye on an Apollo Twin audio interface lately. Yeah, I know, I just purchased a Lewitt Connect 6 interface a couple of months back. I go through these phases all the time. I quickly got over this Apollo Twin lust because of its price and the limited amount of DSP plugins included, none of which I have a use for. The plugins I could use cost almost as much as the interface itself, so it was a non-starter. Still, it's sure nice rig. You might wonder why I'm even thinking of a replacement for the Lewitt Connect 6 audio interface so soon after purchasing it. Well, it doesn't seem to be getting much support from Lewitt. Besides a flurry of YouTube videos upon the initial launch of the Kinect 6, there's only been a couple of short videos featuring the interface lately. The price has recently dropped by $50, so this could be a sign that it hasn't sold well and will be replaced by an updated model, or Lewitt will leave the audio interface business altogether. That would make my purchase an orphan, so to speak. If that happens, I'd probably get a Roadcaster Pro Duo. Well, that'll do it for the podcast news section for the week. Oh, as a reminder, the Google Podcast Listening app is shutting down at the end of this year. So for those who use this app on Android, I recommend getting the Podcast Attic app, which is Podcast 2.0 compliant. Time for a rant smartphones. These technological wonders have made life so much easier, haven't they? Along with that convenience, though, something else has arisen, and that would be addiction. It's not the hardware itself that causes this. It's the applications that reside on the phone, specifically social media platforms. We already know that Facebook and others employ an algorithm to increase engagement with their software, which has resulted in the proliferation of zombie-like people walking around with their attention glued to their phone screens, many with wireless earbuds attached to their heads. These modern zombies have no awareness of their surroundings. Instead, they are glued to the phone displays, awaiting the next like or such. Not only are these zombies walking around our streets, no, they are also driving around these same streets, creating havoc that only now is being realized and recorded. You can tell these driving zombies easily enough. At every stop sign or traffic light, they can't resist picking up their phones to check for updates, causing non-zombies behind them to beep their car horns to remind the zombies to move along. You also see an increasing amount of zombies working in service jobs, fast food restaurants, coffee shops, and other retail venues. They ignore customers in order to get their social media fix in. This new form of zombieism has also spread to homes, where many people spend their lives within the digital world, where their only friends and social interactions exist. Once this particular form of zombie does make it out to what they call real life, they cannot function normally, unable to have a conversation, and more distressingly, unable to control their emotions. These often violent outbursts are the same to them as typing in all capital letters while posting on the social media platform of their choice. And they don't understand when they suffer real-life consequences for their real-life actions. And why would they understand? These social media outbursts go unpunished, or worse for them, unnoticed in their digital world. I fear for the new generations in their digital world that's been created for them by those who only value money. music is playing, which signals the beginning of the end for episode 194 of the OFNT Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed making it for you. If you like what you heard, you can make a donation using the link in the show notes. Any and all donations will be greatly appreciated as always. Speaking of always, you can always reach me at OFNTpodcast at gmail.com if you're so inclined. I'd enjoy hearing from you. Remember, don't listen to what they say. Watch what they do. Hey, the show's over now, so get off my lawn. Stay skeptical. I'm out. See ya.